Well, good morning. Hope you are doing well. If you've been around uh, for a long time, we are grateful that you're here. If you're brand new, we're also grateful that you're here. You've joined us on a Sunday morning. We're in a series called Labels, where we are looking at the Gospel of Luke. And the reason we named the series that way is because Luke is unique among the Gospel writers in that he kind of writes to people who feel like they are on the fringes, like they're left out or they're too far from grace, uh, too far gone in some ways. In some ways, we all feel like that at times. So the big idea that we're talking about each week as we look at this gospel, or at uh, Luke's gospel, is that um, this, this message that Jesus brought, the gospel calls us to a life that's above labels. And so the label that we want to push back on um, a little bit um, today is this, uh, this label that I'm going to call casual. Right. We never drift. Um, we never drift into spiritual thriving. We we never just kind of happen our way into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. What we're going to learn from John the Baptist's life today is that it's a life um, really of intentionality. It's a life that can bring healing to people. It can bring healing um, to us today. Um, and at the same time, we look at the fractured world that we live in. We look two mass shootings in two of our major cities in Milwaukee and Buffalo this weekend. We look, um, we look across the ocean, and another mass grave was discovered in the Ukraine. Um, uh, this week, 100-plus bodies were found there in this, in this mass grave. And you see the brokenness that exists in our world. And we say, well, what, what do we have? What, what can bring healing. What will not do it is this casual, just kind of, maybe it'll kind of get better in my life and in other people's lives, approach to God. No, your life has a unique mission and a unique message. And we're going to learn that from John the Baptist. You remember week number one, we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the fact that God visited them in Luke chapter one and gave them, gave them this child. This child was John the Baptist. And in Luke chapter 3, we see the beginnings of his ministry. We'll look a little bit more broad than Luke 3 because I want us to see a bigger picture um, of his life. But certainly, we'll start there. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn over there. It says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, Philip tetrarch of the region of, the region of Iturea, Trachonitis, and Lysanias, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So again, John has a unique mission and a unique message. I want to start with just a little uh, geography lesson because I know you guys love those. Um, so this is a fantastic rendering of Palestine that I drew uh, this morning. So. In Jesus' ministry, in his day, John the Baptist's day, um, there were Herods that ruled um, underneath Roman rule that they installed in Palestine. Now, Herod is not a name. As you read the scripture, you'll find out there's a bunch of them. It's more like a, it's a title. It's like duke or prince or something like that. So after Herod the Great dies, that he was Herod when Jesus was born, um, then all of a sudden things get split up, all right, to these, these other Herods. So Herod Antipas he rules up here in Galilee, uh, where the majority of Jesus' ministry uh, takes place. Across the Sea of Galilee and across the Jordan River, his half-brother Philip, uh, Herod Philip, ruled over here in Iturea, Trachonitis, 
that area. So Antipas is here and here. Philip is here. And then Herod Archelaus is down here in Judea where uh, Jerusalem is there. John the Baptist, when he starts his ministry, when it says he's in the wilderness, John the Baptist is kind of down here at the southern end of the Jordan River. So you've got Sea of Galilee up here. You've got the Jordan River that flows down into the Dead Sea. Now, if you want to know distances, uh, just for a reference point, uh, let's say the Sea of Galilee is, um, let's say that's Lake Erie, okay? So if that's Lake Erie and this is Route 20, if the Jordan River is Route 23, thinking distance-wise, then um, the Dead Sea would be Kentucky. And I mean that with no disrespect to the Dead Sea. Um, so <clears throat> I love Kentucky, my people, right? Southern part of Ohio, I love, lo love Kentucky. You know the thing about Kentucky, there's about 4.2 million people who live in Kentucky, and Kentucky produces about 4.8 million barrels of bourbon annually. That's all you need to know. Everything you need to know about Kentucky, right, is right there. Um, John the Baptist, he comes onto the scene and he wears camel's hair and um, he, uh, he eats wild honey, right, locusts. And so he's kind of like Kentucky in that way. He's kind of different, right? He's that, kind of a, he's that kind of a guy, but he becomes this, um, this sort of lightning rod, prophetic um, kind of voice um, that God uses. He has a unique mission um, and a unique, a unique kind of, of message. And so we'll begin looking um, at those things. When you pick it back up there in verse 3, we'll talk a little bit about the mission. And he, he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around uh, Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways shall become smooth. So that was John's mission, right? Prepare the way. That was, that was why he was on the scene. Um, in their world, whenever a king would go visit a town or a village, um, before he went, they would send someone to the village called a herald. Not the proper name, H-A-R-O-L-D, but H-E-R-A-L-D. And his purpose, uh, his mission, was to go to the city and to herald or announce the coming of the king. Now, as soon as a village found that out, they went to work, right? Um, if the king is coming, things have got to change. Mainly, their road systems had to, had to be worked on. Their world, they didn't have ODOT, right? They didn't have a transportation department fixing roads um, all of the time. So mainly, their roads had become just kind of uh, ruts. And so if the king was going to come, right, your ruts needed to be fixed. You better fix them. At some times, there was a big rock in the middle of the, of the road, so they would just make the road go around the, the rock. It would become a crooked road, right? Well, the king doesn't go on crooked roads. Like, you've got to move the rock. So what had to happen? So all the low places had to be filled in. All the high rocky spots had to be made low. All the rocks, the crooked roads, those paths had to be made, made straight, so John the Baptist is this herald, and he's heralding this spiritual coming of the Messiah King, and he appeals, I think, to this metaphor to say, look, it's going to be one of two ways. Either you're going to prepare the roads for the king to come to you, right? You're, you're going um, to humble yourself, and you're going to live by his agenda, or what you're going to do is you're just going to try and be the way you are and try to get the king 
to come on, on your agenda, right? You're either going to adjust yourself to him, right? Or you're going to try and get him to adjust himself to you. But what's, what's going to be reality is you're not, you can't be casual. There's just, you can't have this attitude that, nah, you know, king, king's coming. You know, what John the Baptist, his mission was to try and get people to prepare their hearts for the coming of this, of this new Messiah King. If I could put a word on it, it's the word humility. So say that with me on three. Ready? One, two, three. Humility. John the Baptist's mission was to get people to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare their heart to receive Jesus on his terms, not not on your terms. And you see this humility in John the Baptist's life in at least a couple of different ways. Um, over in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 3, um, here's part of the preaching of John the Baptist. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, referencing Jesus the Messiah, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill, uh, to fulfill all righteousness. So two ways here I see the humility in the preaching of John the Baptist. The first one was this whole idea of baptism. Now, baptism would have been really rare in their world. The only time they would have seen baptism would have been when an adult Gentile was converted to Judaism. So whenever, um, whenever a Gentile wanted to join the Jewish faith, they would take a ritualistic bath called a, called a baptism. And the whole idea is like, well, when do you take a bath, right? When you're, not, when you're not clean, right? So the whole idea is they're washing off their old Gentile nature, the idols that they worshiped, and they're coming to say, we receive Yahweh, right? The monotheistic faith of, of Judaism. That was, a, that was a baptism. So it was very rare that that would have happened. Now, the unique thing about the preaching of John the Baptist is that John the Baptist said, everybody, everybody needs to be baptized. Everybody in the water. I was thinking about this week, like when I was a kid, I, you know, if you went to the public pool, whenever you were a kid, you know, they had pool check. You remember pool check, right? You had to get out of the water, and then you were just, you know, you had to wait 15 minutes, your feet on the line, toes on the line, just waiting for the lifeguards to all blow the whistles. Everybody, it's everybody back in the water. And that's kind of this message that John the Baptist preached. Everybody needs to be baptized. He pointed to the reality that it wasn't just the Gentiles who were sinful, but everybody. Everybody is broken uh, by sin. Everybody's flawed. Everybody's marred. Everybody's made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Everyone needs to reflect this reality, this humility, as Jesus the King comes into your life. So in Christianity then, in the early church, and up until today, baptism is an outward reflection of an inward decision. You make a personal decision to follow Christ. Then you make a public identification with Christ via baptism. Post-salvation, by immersion, the same way every person in the New Testament um, was baptized. So next Sunday, uh, if you're able to come back and be with us next Sunday, we will have uh, baptisms in both of our services. People will take the step of going public uh, with their faith. We've been very, very blessed this year seeing people's lives change and adjust uh, to Christ more so maybe than any other year in terms of baptisms. I know here at our campus, here at Lewis Center, we've seen 51 people go public uh, with our baptisms this year, more than any other year up to this point. And so how about you? 
If you call yourself a Christian, there's a moment where you followed Christ. Have you been baptized? After your salvation, post-salvation, by immersion, as a public identification with Christ, you humble yourself to say, I'm a follower of his. Even Jesus was baptized, right? In those verses that we read, Jesus comes to John and he says, John, I need to be baptized. And John's like, wait, I can't. John would have, I think the, the word was used, would have prevented him. John says, wait a minute, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus said, just so we are going to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I'm coming to be baptized, even though I don't need it, because I, Jesus was perfect, right? He was sinless. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an example for everybody else. Who's, even Jesus was baptized. So if Jesus needed to be baptized, how about you? Yes. So have you been baptized? Next Sunday's a great day. Before you leave today, you can stop by our Next Steps room. It's over your right shoulder on the way out there. You can begin the conversation about going public with your faith. Next Sunday? Well, let's move on before this gets too uncomfortable. Okay. So that's one way you see the humility uh, of John, this, this baptism uh, that he preaches. The second way that you see it, though, I think is even more evident. He says about Jesus, he says, whose sandals... I'm not, I'm not even worthy to carry. Maybe your translation of Scripture says, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. It's a reference to what would happen whenever you visited someone's home in Israel, if they had a servant in their house, the lowest job of the, of the house servant in, um, in Hebrew world was to wash the guest's feet, right? I know some of you grew up in... Um, religious traditions and churches where you practiced foot washing. All I can say is, God bless you. Um, you know, today we think about things um, maybe like, hey, that was an, uh, that was an opportunity uh, to serve, right, each other in a modern context. But I want you to think about in an ancient context. Everybody wore sandals. It was a hot, sweaty, dirty, dusty culture all these people um, walking around um, with shoes they would probably have tried to wear for years and years and years. Sweaty, bunion-y, corny feet, yellow toe-nailed, right? And it's just nasty. That was the, the lowest job of the servant. And John the Baptist, in essence, says to Jesus, I'm not even worthy compared to you, to, do, to serve you in the lowest way possible. You hear his humility? Here, here's the way he preached it. Um, John chapter 3, verse 30. He said, he, he, Jesus, he must increase, but I, I must decrease. John saw Jesus um, as, as master. And I know what you're thinking, Riley. He's like, Dean, we get it. I mean, why are you spending so much time here? Because we don't get it. If you and I saw Jesus the way that John the Baptist saw Jesus, casual would not even, it would even be a consideration for us. If we saw Jesus the way that John the Baptist saw Jesus, everything in our lives would change on a heart level, which would mean everything in our lives would, would change um, and on a behavior, on a life kind of level. That's the, the, the Christian side of it. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not a believer, and I would talk to you about John the Baptist's um, life and say to you, well, why? Why aren't you a Christ follower? Some of you would say to me, well, Dean, I just I don't see enough John the Baptist in the world. I, 
I see too many hypocrites in, in Christianity. I think what God would say to you um, is that you've got your sights set too low. You don't judge Christianity by um, people who call themselves Christians. You judge Christianity like you do other things by its founder. That's why the scriptures say, looking unto Jesus. It doesn't say looking unto other believers. It says looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So what we are called to do in humbling ourselves is to keep our eyes heaven-focused, looking upward, looking at him. But in the context of doing so, what we're able to do is then we learn from each other. That's why today is such an important day um, in the life of our church. We launch our summer term of life groups today, smaller groups uh, of people that get together during the week for the purpose of doing two things, connecting relationally and taking the next step in your spiritual journey. Summertime, a great time to join a life group. Our, our groups only typically meet um, every other week in the summer. Here at our campus, we have five brand new groups um, that are launching this summer. We've got groups for college students, groups for single adults, multi-generational uh, groups for, uh, for families, anyone and everyone. A number of opportunities for you to get connected in a group. So as you leave today, um, there's a catalog. It looks like this in kiosks out in the lobby. It's got all the information that you need to contact a group directly and get connected. Um, if you have questions about groups, we'll have a couple of our staff members will be in the lobby, just across the lobby in front of conference room B, there by a table. So you can answer uh, or you can get answers to any questions uh, that you've got about groups. We look at Christ and we learn from each other. When we talk about community, authentic community, that means we are family. Now, not perfect like other families. Lots of crazy aunts and uncles, right? We're not perfect, but we are better together. Another way that we're expressing community right now is that um, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke together. We're about halfway or so there. We'd love for you to join, uh, join in and read the Gospel of Luke with us. Some folks are posting under the hashtag LP Bible um, as we're just kind of keeping up uh, with one another uh, in that and doing that devotionally as a family. We would love it um, if you would take the opportunity to join us. You can go to the blog page at uh, lifepointohio.com, get all the details uh, about a couple of different ways uh, to do that. But the mission of John was to get you and me to humble ourselves because we're all in the same broken, sinful uh, space. That was, that was his mission. But he also, he also had a message. In Matthew chapter 14, here's what he says. Matthew 14, 3. For Herod had seized John, bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful uh, for you uh, for you to have her. Okay, so back to the original geography lesson. So one of the things that John does in his preaching um, is that he preaches against Herod Antipas because of an incestuous relationship. So Antipas decides he wants to marry a woman named Herodias. A couple of problems with that. Problem number one is that Herodias is already married to his half-brother, Philip. So Antipas is married. Philip is married to the woman Antipas wants to marry. That's a problem. The second problem is that Herodias, Philip's wife that he wants to marry, is also the daughter of another one of 
Antipas's half-brothers. So when John got wind of that, John preached against that because of the incestuous nature of the relationship, right? So think about it this way. If Antipas marries Herodias, um, she is simultaneously his wife, his niece, and his sister-in-law, all at the same time, right? And if he marries Herodias and they have children, right, the kids to mom are, she's simultaneously uh, their mom, their aunt, and their cousin, right? You throw in a six-pack, a dead dog, and a pickup truck, you got yourself a country song, right? Right there. Right? And we think about, man, our world is so crazy. Our world is so, it was just, it was the same world. The brokenness that we see here is a reflection of the brokenness that we see right in our world today. So John comes along with this baptism and it's a baptism and the word there is repentance. John's, John's message was change your way. That was his message. Repentance is a word that just means to change, right? You're going one direction, you change direction. You go differently. And so what John is preaching is this, this message, this baptism that you and I, that we need to shift, we need to change, that neutral and casual in our relationship with God, that's just, that's just not, it's not an option. Now what's interesting about that to me is that Antipas was a brutal, brutal ruler. In one act, he crucified 2,000 people in one act, on an occasion. So if you're John, how in the world are you that bold? If what you're calling people to is humility, how do you find a guy like John the Baptist who is also incredibly bold? That's the greatness of the message, right? Is that the gospel simultaneously makes us humble and bold. It's all at the same time. We're humble because Jesus had to leave heaven and come to earth, die on a cross to pay for our sins. That's how sinful that we are. But at the same time, it's not just that he had to come, but he wanted to come. He loved us so much that he left heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, and paid for our sins. And that love is what makes us bold. So we have the opportunity. We can be both. We reflect what we see, but I'm just going to push back against it again. Casual is not an option. When you have a God like that, a God who's loved us like that, a God who's forgiven us like that, a God who's empowered us like that, casual, casual is just not an option. As a matter of fact, you have so much kingdom potential. Here's how Paul says it uh, to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says this, if God be for us, then who? Who can be against us? I don't know um, if you're reading along with us in, through the gospel of Luke this past week, or maybe it was right at the end of last week, we read through Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus comments on the ministry of John the Baptist. Here's what he says. When you went out to see John the Baptist, what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I say, and more than a prophet. There is not a man born of woman who is greater than John the Baptist. Now, Jesus pays John the Baptist this ultimate call. Last time I checked, every person I know was born of a woman, right? Jesus says, there is not a man who has been born of a woman that I have met, right, who is any greater than John the 
Baptist. That is a lofty pedestal for Jesus to put somebody on, right? Jesus is the greatest of the greatest, John the Baptist. But the next thing Jesus says, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, should knock you off your feet. Here's what Jesus says next. Yet, I say to you that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Yet, I say to you that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Are you getting it? Yet I say to you that the least in the kingdom of God is greater. That is jaw-dropping. What does that mean? It means that if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, according to the words of Jesus, not the words of Dean, not the opinion of Dean, but according to the words of Jesus, I'm staring into the faces of people who have greater kingdom potential than John the Baptist. You're looking at me like, I'm not buying. I don't, I don't see it, Dean. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't know it. And can I tell you, it's in part because of the casual nature with which we take our salvation. It is that we come to salvation so many times and we come to it in a selfish way that I want forgiveness, but I'm really not here to give anything. I'm really not here to yield my life. I'm really not here to lay my life down, take up my cross daily and follow Christ like the Gospel of Luke says that we've been, that we've been reading. But in terms of potential, the gospel, it humbles us because we're broken and flawed by sin, but at the same time, it makes us incredibly bold because you're empowered by God's Spirit. In other words, you're hopeless without Christ. You are unstoppable with Christ. The kingdom potential that you and I possess is, albeit equal or more so, than John the Baptist. So, are you living up to your kingdom potential? Because we have a God and we serve a God who pursues us and pursues us and pursues us and pursues us and he will not stop. A few weeks ago, um, we had a gathering of ladies from across all five of our campuses uh, that got together and in that gathering, um, we showed a video of a lady from our Westerville campus. Her name is Terry Scholl. And Terry told her unique story of how God continued, even when she pushed hard against, how she realized that God just was not going to stop. So take a minute. I want you to watch Terry's story. In 2018, I had a dream that I was sitting with God in a room and he said, you will regret not having a relationship with me. The, at that point, a door just slammed and I remember saying, bolt upright. Uh, I looked at the clock, it was 3.20 in the morning. I basically, I knew I had, a, had or God had had a conversation with me. Um, but at that point, I just wasn't ready to do anything with it. I work out at a gym that uh, a bunch of girls there go to Life Point Westerville. And Amber Bosler asked me at one point if I wanted to go to her Bible study. I actually kind of laughed at her and I said, you know, I'm agnostic, right? I was really grateful to these ladies because they would 
they, they welcomed me with open arms knowing, like I was very forthright on my stance. They also were like gracious enough to answer all my questions. Cause I was kind of nitpicking them a little bit. You know, I'd be like, well, how can you believe that? Or, you know, just really questioning things. After I had attended the Bible study for a little bit, uh, I decided to start attending LifePoint Westerville. They said, you know, there's gonna be this if gathering, it's for women and it's all about Jesus. And I remember just sitting there being like, well, that's really like my hang up with Christianity is the whole Jesus thing. <laughs> At one point they read scripture from Acts and it was Acts chapter two, verses 32 to 33. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And at that point in time, I was really struggling with my anxiety and I was doing all the things they tell you to do. Like I saw a therapist, I took the medicine. I, had, I hadn't prayed in probably 15 years, but I, it was very simple and direct and I just said, I, I pray, I want peace. As soon as we closed the prayer, uh, the next piece of scripture they read was Romans 8, 6, where to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I just remember feeling like it was God directly answering my prayer in that moment. That night, I went to bed and I had the dream again, but this time it was a knock at the door, like it always was, but instead, I opened the door and I literally, like, I felt the spirit come into me and just was like coursing through me. I almost felt like buzzing, like my whole body was just buzzing with like, like peace and joy. And I, I remember having this realization that all those times I was having the dream of the door knock and the slam, that I was the one slamming the door. I sat up and I looked at the clock and it, of course it was 3.20 in the morning again. And I woke my husband up and I, I told him what happened and I was so excited and I was like, I've been converted. I feel like he was like a witness to that moment because the next day at church, when Pastor Ed was closing his sermon, he said, you know, God is gonna keep pursuing you. He will knock at that door until you open it. And we both just looked at each other like, I mean, that was literally what I was experiencing for probably at least a year and a half or two years at that point of him just like knocking at that door every night. When I decided to get baptized, I was sharing this whole story with Pastor Ed and he said, well, you know what the significance of the 320 is, right? And I said, no, I have no idea. And so he said, it's Revelations 320. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I just remember, I like almost fell out of my chair and I was, it was just one more way that he was revealing himself to me. And I would just say that like, if you open the door just a crack, like he will pursue you and he will meet you where you are in the way that you need to be met if you're seeking. You know, I'm grateful for a couple of reasons for Terry's story. And one of those is it displays how God speaks to us uh, each of us uniquely at moments um, in time. And at the same time, God's word in the book of Hebrews says, in these last days, God has revealed uh, himself to us through his son, through Jesus dying on the cross, paying um, the price for our sins. And we see that revealed in God's word. So I can say this to you today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, um, I'll, I'll parrot Terry's words. God saying to you, you will regret not having a relationship with me. 
the beauty of Revelation 3.20 is it's just, it's, it's not a verse, it's actually a verse written to the church. It's not a verse just written for people who aren't Christians who need to become Christians. It's a verse written for Christians who in that, uh, in that world, in that church, had gotten very casual about their faith. Why would you choose? Why would you choose that kind of life? You have a God who is knocking at the door of your heart. Are you going to open it? Are you going to welcome him in? Not according to your agenda, according to his. Are you going to humble yourself? Are you going to allow his forgiveness to enter your life to the degree that you're going to change, you're going to repent, you're going to turn to it, be filled by his presence and to be emboldened, emboldened by his love. That same God. That same God that made a difference in the life of a camel's hair wearing wild locusts and honey eating John the Baptist. Just like he used him to change his world, he can use you to change our world and to make a difference in the realities in which we live. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, there is no better day than today to receive the salvation of God come through the person of Christ. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you're kind of been stuck in neutral, there is no better day than today than to humble yourself and repent because of the love of God that we see shed abroad in our hearts in the person of Christ. And so we come to days like today and moments like today, and really that's the purpose behind sharing communion together. We're going to do that um, this morning. If you did not receive communion elements um, on the way in today and you would like to celebrate um, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with us. We've got some folks from our connections team that are in the back that just put your hand up. They'll come to you and they'll give you the ele uh, elements uh, to celebrate um, communion um, after I pray. Okay, Father, we are so grateful for the cross, so grateful for the brutality, God, that you experienced at our expense. Thankful so much, God, for the ways that you substituted yourself and put yourself in, um, in my place. And God, it, um, it draws me, it pulls me, it tugs me back to you. And so God, just as a people, as a body of believers today, we just say that we repent. We want to align ourselves behind you, behind your agenda, behind your plan for our lives. Thank you for your body and for your blood. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the scriptures say that the night before Jesus went to the cross, that he gathered the disciples, and that he took bread, and that he blessed it, and that he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. And that he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, this is my blood 
that was shed for you for the remission or for the payment of sins. Drink all of it. Let's pray one more time together. God, I pray that our worship this morning is pleasing to you. I pray, God, that um, this opportunity that we take this morning, Lord, to allow you to expose the hidden things that are in our hearts, that, God, as they bubble up, that we would deal with them, that we would walk through them with you, trusting your presence as our guide. May we be an accurate uh, picture reflection as much as is humanly possible of your name and your nature to the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.